This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Be a day that's coming for us all. When you're going to see our King that time there won't be much that matters outside the fact that you know him and as our hope as a church is to introduce you to him if you don't know him yet that you have to consciously understand that one day you will be face to face with Jesus Christ it's not a platitude a doctrine a tenet it's 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 fact it's truth and, and the more you think about that truth, my hope is that you'll be able to prepare yourself for that day because that day is coming soon. Now, I'm not telling you that the rapture is coming right now. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not. Whether you believe in the rapture or you don't is irrelevant because your day is coming. Death comes to us all it's it's the ultimate weakness death is the evidence that there is sin that we have sinned the Bible says the soul that sins it shall die and when you see someone die that is the evidence that they had wrestled been infected had sin in their lives it's going to continue until the end you know death itself will be thrown into the lake of fire death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and when that happens you will have made it it will be over and everything that happens from now until that moment because we're talking about a moment is important every thought Every decision, every action, every word. Jesus says you'll be judged by every idle word that comes out of your mouth. You know, every action has a consequence, good or bad. And the fact that we have this opportunity to know Jesus Christ now is huge. I don't know what they were feeling, the emotions they had when, when they saw Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. Because if they were acute or were able to hear the Holy Spirit, they would have known what was going to happen. But the problem was they got caught up in a lot of tradition and doctrines that made them miss over the reality. And they looked at the scriptures the way they wanted to and came to the conclusions they thought were fable for their quality of life. I went around Robin Hood's bar to say they skipped over Jesus Christ's death in the text which was clear in Isaiah. And they skipped to his millennial reign. And they interpret the thousand year reign of Jesus with their own life. 
And when Jesus Christ went to the cross, their theology was completely destroyed. Now, some of us have this hope that we don't have to see death, that Jesus will come and take us. But, but that may not happen. There are more Christians being persecuted today than ever before in the history of our faith. Is that a scary thing? I don't know. The Bible tells us not to mourn like those who have no hope. Because we have this hope. And even though I'm talking about death, Jared didn't know I was going to talk about death. We don't even talk about what we're going to talk about on Sunday. And so understand, this doesn't mean that someone in here is going to die. That, this doesn't mean that. Because the point of today's sermon is not death, it's life. It's all about life. I'm going to ask you a question. Normally I would have you turn and talk to your neighbor, <laughs> but I might not do that today. Remember your very first memory. Anybody? Your very, somebody just shout out your very first memory. Anybody? Drinking carousel, oh my goodness. Drinking, let's pray for them right now. That's a miracle, that's a miracle right there, huh? <laughs> Drinking kerosene, anybody else? There's none better than that, I don't think we can get better than that. That's, that was enough. Family, in Florida, do you remember how old you were? Three, three or four, anybody else? First time you went hunting, how old were you? 12, that's your first memory? You didn't, I, no, I mean, I, no. Uh, bro, I'm just saying, like, I didn't know I was alive. I was about seven, two. It's okay, right? <laughs> Anybody else? First memory? Waking up in the hospital. Whoa, how old? Four. Okay, there's a story behind that. Anybody else? Brave soul, just throw it out there. You see, we didn't critique what anybody said. Stubbing your toe real bad. Do you remember how old you were? Two. Wow. Sure. Sometimes I, I look back and I, I have to talk to my parents about what happened to me when I was young because I don't have a lot of memory when I was young. And I feel like I was cheated out of life. I feel like the first seven years, I'm like, we lived where? We did what? Are you serious? We lived in four homes? I didn't even remember any of those homes. We had an animal? What was the animal's name? Are you, I had incredible Hulk pajamas and I didn't recognize it? Like I see the pictures. It's like I wasn't really there. And it's like I missed out on that. And anybody remember how life felt when you were young and everything was so new? Anybody remember? Oh, I hate to say this. If you're married, you do not have to respond to this. Anybody remember your first kiss? Oh, <laughs> Pastor Dave. <laughs> we'll pray for Pastor Dave. <laughs> your first kiss. Anybody remember the first time you went to an amusement park? First time you went to a movie theater? Who, first movie, anybody remember the first movie you saw? First, okay. <laughs> first movie? What was it? Snow, oh my goodness. Well, no, I'm just saying like, imagine that's your first movie. Imagine how that impacted your life. I was a, it was either E.T. or Star Wars, right? That, that's, I don't know which one came first. Anybody else first movie? Go ahead. Yeah. 
Fritzy Adams. <laughs> mm. Serendipitous, but not in a good way. <laughs> so we have this life that we're 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 currently in. And and it seems like we've had all these very, very difficult, sometimes pleasurable experiences. And we're like, man, is that sense of newness gone forever? Like, man, I wish I could go back and be innocent. I wish I could start from scratch with all the baggage. I remember trying to do ministry to someone who had been through such hard experiences in life. And I remember right before Jesus went to the cross, he said these words, and it was so powerful. And remember these words. He said, I'm going to make all things new. And, and Jesus wasn't speaking hyperbole. He was speaking facts. I'm going to make all things new. All things are going to be new. We live in these bodies, and, and our bodies peak at like 21, 22, and then it's all downhill from there. It's like we, we live the majority of our lives going down the hill. And it's like, is that fair? What is up with that? Because you have to realize this life is designed to point you to a future that is after death. And so for many of us, that is a revolting thought because I don't want to think about death, most people say, right? I don't want to think about death. The less I think about it, the happier I get. But, but, but that's the point of Christianity. That the greatest enemy humanity had has been overcome. Jesus Christ won the victory for us. And that's the part most people need to get deep in their heart. That everything is going to be okay. Everything. Everything. You trust and obey. God has a plan for your life. It extends past your death. The majority of the things you're going to accomplish, as a matter of fact, 99.99% of your accomplishments will not take place until you die and then are resurrected again. God is preparing a place for you for eternity. You're being equipped and prepared for an eternal position, a job. You're in the interview process right now. The Bible says if you're faithful with what? You'll be given much. The Bible says if you're faithful with these little talents, you'll be given cities to rule over. Everything you're going through now is designed to make you a king, a queen, a priest for the Lord. But the problem is, from now and then, there's this big impediment, an obstacle, and it's called death. The Jews understood that. The ancient world understands that. You look at every religion, they try to find a way of how do we wrestle with the concept of death? Because it doesn't seem like anybody's coming back from it. So people made up through talking to spirits or through myth, ways of dealing with the afterlife. But we have one who has been there and came back with a report for you to encourage you. His name is Jesus. He came back and said, I handled that for you. 
I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And because I have the keys, trust me. And so now you have to trust that God has your best interest in mind. But death, he didn't take away. We still have to go through this. And I, I wrestle with this concept most of my life. Why sometimes is life difficult? Why did God put Adam and Eve around that tree? Why did he pick up this big, why didn't he put up like this boulder or these brick walls or laser beams or shields? Why didn't he put the angel there before they ate? And I realized that this life is the result and consequence of Adam and Eve choosing to forsake God's will. We get to live this life on this side of the cross, on this side of death, and we get to have this experience in the back of our minds for all eternity. Sometimes you have to realize there's a reason why things are difficult. Because remember, the angels were created in perfection. And in perfection, they still forsook God. And the Bible says there's no place for redemption for them. They're eternally lost. But for humanity, we were made temporal. We were made terrestrial. We had mortal bodies. And because of that, we get to see life outside of God's will. Now, when you see someone dying, you say, that's so tragic. It's so unfair. There's so much pain. There's so much hurt. Now, we have moments of joy, and we have moments of peace, and we have moments where we can celebrate and thank God for the goodness, and those moments are like breadcrumbs leading us on this path to eternity. But while we're here right now, God is letting us feel the weight of sin and the consequence, and that's why you struggle with finding satisfaction so many times in your life. You're like, man, I thought once I got that house, I'd be satisfied. I thought once I got those alligator shoes, I'd be all good. I thought once I got that Range Rover, life would be great. But still, something's missing in our hearts. And that's him. He is the exceedingly great reward. And you have to fight to make him the most important thing in your life, moment by moment. There's this constant war that you should be fighting. Who is on the throne of your heart? So what God did is he conquered your biggest enemy and said, I won the war. Now trust me. And now we should be grateful for what he has accomplished for us. That gratefulness should drive most of our life, if not all. How did I put that thing back there? You saw that rope try to take me out. Got a quote by Martin Luther who says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to, what's that word? Accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not, is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ's resurrection is the fulcrum, the center of all human history. It's the most important event for you, for your children, and for your children's children. The fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead is the one historical fact that cannot be disproven. It's so tight, it wins people to God. Now, apologists who have in, Christian, in the Christian vernacular, most apologists, we won most of the arguments against Christianity. That's why the world no longer says, well, we don't believe in truth. 
because Christians have cornered truth. So it's not about truth anymore because truth is your truth, but your truth is my truth. And now Christians don't even argue principles and platitudes and theories anymore. We simply now go to the cross. If someone has a problem with Christianity, we say, well, try to disprove that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And they can't because there's too much evidence for it. Take confidence. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Once again, we're in the book of Ezekiel, and I'll be quick today. We were, I said last week, we went through Isaiah, one of the hardest books in the Bible, and now we're in Ezekiel, probably the next hardest book in the Bible. But understand, Ezekiel, when he started preaching, he was one of the first exiles in the year 500 B.C., around 500. He was about 30 years old. He was the first group of elite that went to Babylon. And here he's around a canal in Babylon, and he has this vision from God. And, and, and these visions are so amazing, so fantastic, so awe-inspired. Like he's seeing stuff that... I can't even explain today. He couldn't even explain what he was seeing, but he knew God was speaking to him. God was telling him stuff so amazing. It's just historical facts and truth that he was just in awe regarding what he was hearing from God and how the things were coming true. This man is seeing God work at a level almost nobody has ever seen God work. I set you up for this point. Despite he saw all that, listen to the dialogue. The hand of the Lord, that is vernacular we have to wrestle with. Most people think it's a metaphor because they don't think God has a hand. Now, your interpretation of this is important because if you think it's a metaphor, you may mistake the entire thing as a metaphor. Symbols. But this is why we do the principles of Bible study, inductive Bible study here for this point. The hand of the Lord is called uh, anthropomorphism. It's, it's ascribing to God human characteristics so that we understand how he functions. And so here, the hand of the Lord, is it really God's hand or is it symbolic? And most people and scholars interpret it as that's God's action, God's activity. So what he's saying is through God's activity, this happens. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit Another word that we got to wrestle with really quickly. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit for months. Now understand that most people, when they say brought him out in the Spirit, most people try to reduce the Spirit, and they try to say, okay, this means it wasn't natural, but it was just spiritual. But most people get that wrong, because spiritual is actually fuller and whole. You, you understand when you see stuff in the Spirit, you see the entire picture. But when you see stuff just naturally, you're missing most of the equation. And so what's happening here is Ezekiel was getting the full picture of something that he didn't have understanding of before. That's the importance of hearing somebody say, in the spirit. He goes on to say, in the spirit, it set me down in the midst of a valley. Now, once again, I want to put out this thought. This isn't simply a figure of speech. And I'll show you, I'll say that a little bit later. He's in the valley, and he's in the middle of the valley. That's an important point. He's laid down, he's set down in the middle of the valley. Look at these descriptive words. The, the literary word is, it's particular. Why is he so specific about being in the middle of the valley? That's an important point. Also, and it was what? Full of bones. Middle of the valley, 
full of bones. He goes on to say, and, and he caused me to pass by them all. And behold, there were, listen to the continuation and repetition, there were very many in the open valley. So now, understand if God is speaking spiritually, if you go to the book of Revelations, you don't have to have a lot of detail when it comes to God talking about spiritual creatures, spiritual realities. That detail is not important. But here, detail is important because he's trying to highlight how hopeless this situation is. Then it came to pass, excuse me, then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Another descriptive word. Why is this author putting so much work in describing this scene regarding dry bones? Because he's trying to communicate something very specific historically. This is an event that happened. And he's trying to let the reader understand the hopelessness this situation, this context, in a sense, conveys. He goes on to say, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? We talked about Ezekiel, man of God. Ezekiel, he saw all God's power. Ezekiel's having all this revelation, and he goes to this valley. There's bones everywhere. They can't be collected. They're not all in one area. They're just bones spread out everywhere all over the valley. And, and God's like, can these bones live? And what was his response? Man of God, man of faith, man of valor, man of destiny. He says, oh, Lord, you know. What? What, what is he really saying? I don't know. I don't know, God, if you could do this. I, this, is, this is impossible. Lord, that was on camera. I, this, is, this is impossible. That was on camera. That was on camera. Am I, am I bleeding? Is it okay? <laughs> this is impossible. This is literally an impossibility. There's no way in my mind can I rationalize if this can happen. That's what it's trying to communicate. Oh, Lord, you know. Because I don't know. Four. And again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am God. So God has just told Ezekiel to say these things to dry bones, many bones, an impossible situation figuratively and literally. But understand, this is actually trying to highlight some very important truth for us all. This is highlighting our own resurrection. If you want to know what your resurrection will be like, the steps of your resurrection, if you want to know what that process looks like, how it will take place. Some people say, man, when I die, 
I want to be, I want to be in this uh, area. I want to be in this funeral home. I want to be in this graveyard site. But, but understand, people wrestle with, well, how is God going to do this? How's God going to put me back together? Like, what does the resurrection actually feel like? What will be happening in that process? Here, God lays it out for all of humanity. This is what your resurrection will look like. Now understand, if you keep going in this chapter, he starts talking about the millennial reign. He starts talking about the son of David being on the throne. He starts talking about Israel being at peace. Like, this isn't just for Israel coming back into the land that they were, in a sense, in exile from. This is talking about all of humanity eventually being resurrected because you know every human being will be resurrected, good and bad. Every one of us will be resurrected whether you believe in Jesus or not. Here, this is specifying the resurrection of Israel in the last days, which is also our resurrection as well. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So despite these bodies coming and being put back together, there still wasn't life in them, which is almost a reference back to Adam and Eve. Adam was put together from the dust of the earth and then God had to breathe into him in order for there to be life. If you want to know what that process will look like, God's going to bring back your body, but then still breathe life back into it. And that doesn't come from just air. That comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible said the same spirit that was in Christ is in you. The same spirit that resurrected Christ is in you. And that is the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the man, say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. I have another verse in there really quick that I'll show you in a minute. But understand, in here, this point is God's going to breathe, there will be life, and now resurrection takes place for all those people who put their faith in him. 10, so I prophesied and he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and they stood up on their feet an exceedingly great army. What will your resurrection be like? Is that an important point for you? I remember being young thinking about, man, when I die, I want to be, be in that graveyard because my great-grandma and grand-grandfather is. So I want to be buried by them. And that's what, that was logic. Nowadays, people are saying what? Shoot, I'm not going to get buried. You can cremate me and put me on the shelf. That's what people say. And now we're wrestling with the concept of the importance of the body, of the importance of where we die. These are thoughts and concepts that were important for Israel, not so much for us today. But above all that, what's the most important thing? That resurrection is coming. How will that happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, really quickly, that verse 9, this is the Young's literal translation of it. It says, and this is what you didn't get. In, in the other version, it says breath, not spirit. So just, I had to highlight this. So prophesy unto the Spirit, I mean the Holy Spirit, prophesy, Son of Man, and thou has said unto him, the spirit, thus saith the Lord, Jehovah, from the four winds come in, O spirit, and breathe on these slain, 
that they do live. You saw this, you see this new, new design, right? I try to re-engage at this point. This is me getting like fancy. It's the spirit that ultimately gives man life. The whole Bible sits on this hill. This is the crux. This is what God's been leading up to the entire time. Israel missed this point. The Messiah would die and be resurrected. We all will die and be resurrected. We all will die and be resurrected to life or to death. Those in Christ will be resurrected to eternal life. Death is a constant for us all now. Eventually, it'll be done away with. And once you are resurrected to life, you may not even remember to a great degree all the pain and struggles you had here on this world. Imagine the first moment when you're resurrected, when you realize it's it, I'm here. Imagine when you say, I've made it. Imagine when you see your kids to your right and to your left and they're crying, looking at you like, Mama, you were right. Jesus is Lord. Imagine your husband like, babe, thank you for being faithful when I was not. You really encouraged me. You really held me grounded. And because of you, I stayed faithful. Thank God for bringing you in my life. Imagine on that day when we all see Jesus Christ for ourselves. Imagine. You must have the right perspective on the source of life. Humans are trying to find a way of live forever now. Do you know that? There are, there are actually scientific efforts to freeze people's bodies so that eventually science will catch up and they'll be able to resurrect people from the dead or from the cryo sleep. It's a real thing. And eventually you're going to have to pay money in order to get this procedure. And some people are going to wrestle, oh my goodness. And this is how they'll probably do us dirty. They'll probably say, okay, you can have this procedure done. You could be frozen cryologically and be resurrected in a thousand years or brought back to life for cryogenic sleeping if you get this mark on your hand. The end game is here. Our life comes from the spirit of God. That's where our life comes from. The spirit is wholeness. It's fullness. Everything we see is temporal. We only see in part. Even our entire reality isn't the whole thing. The spirit is everything. And we are being brought along to that point where we can see the entire context. The Holy Spirit now lives within you. He is there. He is a person. He is trying to comfort you. He is trying to convict you. He is trying to encourage you to live faithfully for God. He has a purpose and a plan. And God said those people who are led by the Spirit of God are his sons and daughters. You need to properly evaluate what's eternally most important. We, sometimes we have it flipped. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. The greatest is the least. The first is the last. The things that are important to us, God says what? He, he looks down upon. Fame, fortune, power. God likes the weak things, the broken things to confound the this rich, the powerful. God is trying to get glory out of our lives. Death is an important part of this process. 
And so as God moves in your life now, it's to encourage you and to give you hope because that day is coming. It's not anything to be scared about. Take courage. I'm not telling you to be more of it and walk around all day, go to all the cemeteries. I'm just trying to say you have nothing to worry about as it pertains to death. The early Christians didn't even care about death. They put all their confidence in the resurrection. We are spiritual beings inside a natural body. God is trying to do things through you spiritually motivated. You need God's spirit to do so. Remember, when one passes, their spirit has left their body and if saved, they go to Jesus. And then you'll come back and you'll get a new body. So the reason why this is even relevant is simply a paradigm shift. We, we can't think simply about death and then the will. Death and then my insurance. Like who, who has their will, all right, right? Who has their insurance for the family? Variable life or is it term life? Who, who has all that taken care of? But there's another step that's actually more important to that. Like begin to start planning for life after death. Like, man, when I'm resurrected, man, I want to I wanna be on a mountain. I want to overlook a city. I want to look down. I want to cry and cry until I see Jesus. I want to say thank you, Lord. There's going to be a moment that's coming when you're going to open your eyes again for the very first time. And you're going to be conscious from that moment of the memories you make. And you'll have that experience for all eternity. You may be like me, and when you were, when you were born, you're like, I didn't know I was here until I was at least 14 years old. I didn't know I was alive until I was like 17. I was like, oh, I'm here. Here, you're going to know instantly. And you're going to have the ability to sit and, and just bask. And you're going to be able to look and say, oh, my gosh, I made it. I'm here. You're going to be like, I made it. I made it past the grave. That death wasn't the end of my story. And I'm just trying to say, I'm the person trying to tell you to broker, to manage, to be a good steward. Because God tells us to seek those things which are above. The greatest days of your life are after death. Don't be deceived. Can you bow your heads? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Lord God, death seems scary, Lord God, but help us not walk in fear. Live in fear. Respond in fear. Help us live in faith. Lord, just as these, these people were resurrected for Ezekiel, Lord God, and Jesus, you were resurrected for us, Father God. We we, we take confidence that we'll be resurrected for your glory. Your word is true. Help us rest in that fact that death is not the end. Just another obstacle that you are giving us confidence and trust in you that we can overcome death because you
Give us confidence through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We went around Robin Hood's bar to make that point. And I think the point was important. Death is not the end. Not even close. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.